0: Hey, 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 welcome to episode 13 of Bullshift. Thanks for joining me for today's episode called How to Be Good in Bed. It's about sleep in case you got a dirty mind, which I appreciate, by the way. Today, I'll share the three most common sleep mistakes, what normal sleep is, one evidence based strategy for dealing with insomnia. And by the way, this supports people experiencing chronic insomnia too. This episode is packed with value if you are currently troubled by problems falling, staying asleep, or waking too early, if you have fitful, non-restorative sleep, if you know someone who has these problems, if you've had problems like these in the past and want to be prepared, should they happen again, or if you're just generally interested in sleep. So let's get to it. Welcome to Bullshift, the podcast for every person aged 35 to 55 who wonders, is this as good as life gets? Bullshift teaches you how to apply coaching psychology, early midlife insights, and the art and science of a meaningful life to transform this life phase into a period of creativity and growth. We spend nearly half our adult lives in some type of transition. This show is about making all that time more satisfying. My name is Megan Krause, and as a nationally board certified well being coach, a modern midlife maven, and the chief bullshifter, I'm delighted you're here. Okay, let me start with a quick disclaimer that I grew up on a farm and would rise with the literal rooster. Yeah, he was a total jerk. And in college, I would start my day with Katie Couric and the Today Show at 7 a.m. Can you believe it? I mean, how many college kids do you know who wake up to get ready for the day at 7 a.m.? As the years have gone on, my body continues to wanna go to bed earlier and earlier and wake up earlier and earlier. And in recent months, I've been struggling because I'll consistently wake up between four and five most mornings. And while this is good news for my dad who's been known to call me during the six o'clock hour, falling asleep by 8.30 p.m. and waking up at 4.15 each morning is not something that interests me, even during quarantine. So you can imagine my delight when I connected with Dr. Jim Davig, a nationally recognized sleep psychologist with whom I have the privilege of working within a major healthcare system in Minnesota. After my first meeting with him, which wasn't even a personal consult, it was for business, I learned so much valuable information that I wanted to share with anyone who'd listen. Since it's strange to you know, yell out my car window about sleep, I'm so glad to have this podcast. <laughs> sleep problems are a common theme in my work with midlifers. Even though I work with my clients on many dis- different aspects of their life, from health and quality of life to career transitions and connection with loved ones, sleep is so fundamental to them all, and it remains a painful struggle for so many. Also, a lot of what Dr. Jim had to say aligned with my training and my my work. I'm a national board certified coach in both well-being coaching and in lifestyle medicine. And a big part of my work with clients is in thought work or becoming aware of and changing our thoughts. And this is also true with sleep. So today, I want to share a bit more about this aspect to getting better sleep, because while we hear a lot about sleep hygiene and essential oils if you're experiencing insomnia there might be other tools you need i'll also note up front that what you're learning today is part of a powerful workshop i host with dr jim again he's a nationally recognized expert and so wonderful the workshop's called good in bed and you can get it on demand in my shop by going to shop.megancrowsey.com. it's jam-packed with value for anyone who's experiencing insomnia. And it features six evidence-based strategies, and you can get it for just $27. That's less than one new released Disney movie. I also provide an interactive playbook that can accompany your experience. And this workshop is really for anyone who's currently troubled by Those problems I mentioned earlier, like falling asleep, staying asleep, or waking too early, having that fitful, non-restorative sleep. And if you've had problems like this in the past and you wanna prevent them for the future. Seriously, Dr. Jim is amazing. Okay, so let's first discuss the three most common sleep mistakes. Number one, spending too much time awake in bed. Here's what it looks like. Over time, people start going to bed earlier and getting out of bed later and staying in bed when they're unable to sleep, all in pursuit of getting more sleep. And here's why people make this mistake. They incorrectly believe that if they have insomnia, they need to spend more time in bed in order to get more sleep. And this makes sense, but that's not how sleep works. Instead, they significantly increase their amount of time in bed, but with very little increased actual sleep. And here's the cost of this mistake. Sleep efficiency, or the percent of time sleeping during the night, will decrease, which causes decreased quality of sleep. Increased time spent awake in bed leads to increased time feeling frustrated in the bed. And this frustration causes increased arousal, which keeps you awake. It's the very definition of a vicious cycle. And four, some commonly reported benefits of changing the amount of wake time you spend in bed is that you shorten the time it takes to first fall asleep. You decrease your number of awakenings during your sleep and you shorten your time in falling back to sleep. You also enjoy longer segments of uninterrupted sleep and then you increase the amount of time you you spend in REM sleep all while decreasing your frustration caused by laying awake in bed trying to sleep but failing. You also then get increased time for things you enjoy or value and increased productivity at home while decreasing your anxiety or anticipation and worry about how sleep is going to go. Number two, doing too many wrong things in the bed. Here's what this looks like. Reading, Facebooking, texting, watching TV, or streaming Netflix, listening to podcasts or music, snacking, homework, work, long periods of pillow talk, phone games. (laughs) In other words, anything other than sleep, sex, or waiting for sleep, which is ideally the span of roughly five to 20 or so minutes. And here's why people make this mistake. Many of these are just simply fun and enjoyable and productive activities. And some of them produce a false belief that they'll help make you fall asleep, like reading is going to make you sleep. Undervaluing the importance of sleep. Yeah, we really do this culturally in a big way. Or sometimes we do this because we get pressure from a bed partner to go to bed at a certain time. Here's the cost of this mistake. Your sleep opportunity is missed because it's been replaced with some sort of activity. And these activities activate your brain cells that maintain your alertness. And over time, the bed then becomes a marker or a stimulus for being awake. And the bedroom then also becomes less associated with sleep. But when you change this, you get several benefits. Here are just a couple. First, you're still able to do these activities, just not in bed. The bed becomes a much more reliable indicator for sleep. And you'll have much less anxiety about how the night's gonna go and you actually look forward to getting into bed. Second, a lot of people report a decreased reliance on activities or external products to help them sleep. And thus it produces an increased confidence that you're gonna sleep just fine and you have much more positive feelings about your bed and your bedroom. And a lot of people describe a bedroom that's better organized for sleep that includes fewer temptations, things like your TV, your laptop, your smartphone, snacks. And then mistake number three, not preparing for good sleep. Here's what it looks like. Assuming you'll sleep because you want to sleep. Having a lack of pre-bed wind-down time. Too much light exposure before bed. Insufficient exercise or activity. Alcohol, nicotine, or caffeine use. Going to bed with worries. Did you just nod when I said that? Here's why people make this mistake. They're staying up later because they're not sleepy or they're involved in other activities or they go straight from a demanding activity, you know, work, childcare, chores, um, intense discussions, and they, they go straight from these things right to bed or having screen time before bed, having a sedentary day. This is pretty easy to do during quarantine. Having caffeine in the afternoon or evening, or nicotine use in the evening, or regular alcohol use in the evening. All of these. Maybe it's about not allowing time to you know, sort out or deal with your worries before getting into bed. Maybe it's about having a bed that's too warm, or a bedroom with too much light or noise, being interrupted by family or roommates. And here's the cost of this mistake. We don't sleep because we want to, but when we don't pay attention to and operate with wind-down practices, our quality of sleep suffers. Good sleep requires consistent habits and environmental conditions that are conducive to sleep. And here are some commonly reported benefits of changing this bad practice. Well, many of these factors really are about healthy habits in general. So Yes, they create the conditions for your sleep, but they're also healthier for your life in general. And they remove the barriers to good sleep. And these habits can be part of a learned pattern that will support your sleep. Second, focusing on the preparation for sleep and the environment in which you sleep is gonna help you continue to value and defend your sleep. Limiting your stimulant use is gonna have definite positive effects on your ability to both fall and stay asleep, as well as other health benefits. And when people focus on these things, they notice more improvements with their sleep than those who disregard them. Even if no sleep benefit is noticed, though, they're very positive health changes, like I mentioned before. Increased activity or exercise, dealing with those worries or demands before getting into bed and Really committing to specific actions to take about your worries are really going to allow you to keep them out of your bed. And then, of course, sleep and your relationship with it is impossible to remove from your overall health and well being. So, now that you better understand the most common barriers to being good in bed, to overcoming your insomnia in particular, let's quickly go over what constitutes normal sleep. Now, you know, I don't really care for that word normal. But in this case, it's really about normalizing occasional poor sleep. Yeah, it's true. The periodic night of poor sleep is really common. In fact, it's typical to have poor sleep up to two nights in a week. Two nights each week. Remember that when you're comparing notes with friends. Here's the real deal. No one has perfect sleep every night. It's Typical to have occasional awakenings. And whether you're experiencing perfect sleep or all kinds of problems, remember this mantra. If not tonight, very likely tomorrow night. Let's now focus on one strategy for getting better sleep, which is managing your thoughts. When you buy the Good in Bed workshop, you'll learn all six evidence-based strategies from Dr. Jim and in what order you'll want to apply them. Today though, we're going to focus exclusively on your thought work. We're gonna get up in your head. And this is a particularly important approach when you're dealing with an overactive brain. A shorthand for this might be worry management. I have two exercises that I'll share with you. Both exercises are gonna require you to actually write out your answers. So hit pause if you're not at a table with pen and paper to do this because the power's in actually doing the exercises. Okay, so for this first exercise, there are five steps. First, write out all of your worries, or (laughs) like most of them, because I realize that is a very long list right now. Then divide them into two groups those you can affect, and those you have no control over, and you may wish to put them on separate pieces of paper. Third, as you consider your list of those worries that you can affect, make notes of ideas for how you might plan to address them. Fourth, write out a plan for dealing with those you can affect. And fifth, for those you cannot affect focus on acceptance of them. There are plenty of acceptance practices available to you. And one quick one is a practice I call go with the flow. The next time you wash your hands, feel the water flowing out of the tap. Sense the texture, the temperature, and the pressure. The flow of that water as it cascades over your fingers. And then Take an intentional pause, breathe deeply, and accept this singular moment. Say to yourself, this is now. All I have is today, this moment. I am here now. I go with the flow. I choose to flow with life rather than against it. I accept this moment. And I just let it be just as it is. Yeah, you can say that to yourself again the next time you wash your hands, just as you're feeling that water flowing out of the tap. It's really beautiful and calming. Okay, so on to the second exercise. A common development when experiencing insomnia is to engage in a particular form of distorted thinking called Catastrophizing. You might already recognize this for you, but here's what it sounds like. Oh, geez. If I'm unable to sleep tonight, then tomorrow's going to be terrible. And I have that big presentation, which means I really need to sleep. But I can't. I can't believe this. This is awful. I'm going to screw it up. So for this exercise, there are three steps. First, you'll begin by writing down your catastrophizing thoughts. Second, you'll replace those thoughts with what has actually happened in the past when you haven't slept well or worried you wouldn't. For example, do you always sleep poorly when you worry about it? Do you always have horrible days after you don't sleep well? Has poor sleep actually ever caused any other events you worry are going to happen? Are there other reasons why you have bad days besides poor sleep? Getting clear on these distinctions is really important. And finally, you'll write down your replacement thoughts that offer a more accurate and helpful story. One example might sound like, okay, I've had occasional nights of poor sleep before, and I've still been able to perform well at my job. These two exercises seem really simple, which is great, they are they're also really powerful exercises to support your thought work in overcoming insomnia to be good in bed. Okay, friends, today you've learned the three most common sleep mistakes, you've learned what normal sleep is, and you've learned one effective evidence-based strategy for dealing with insomnia. And by the way, this strategy supports people experiencing chronic insomnia too. And that my friends, is the tip of the sleep iceberg, but it's really good to get a look, a better look at what you might be running into. Remember, if you want to learn all six evidence-based strategies for overcoming insomnia, then check out my 90-minute workshop called Good in Bed that features a nationally recognized sleep expert. Just go to shop.megancrowsey.com to get this value-packed $27 workshop that's really priceless in terms of the value it offers you. Thanks for listening. Let's connect next week when we'll be exploring the topic of constraints. Thank you for tuning into Bullshift. If you're loving what you're learning in the podcast and you wanna create your own Bullshift, then you need to check out megancrowsey.com forward slash Bullshift. If you haven't already, subscribe to Bullshift on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember to connect with me on Instagram at Megan underscore Krause. Let's connect next week.